Here's to the finest crew in Starfleet. Engage. Welcome to the Greatest Generation Deep Space Nine, Star Trek podcast by two guys who are, as ever, a little bit embarrassed to have a Star Trek podcast. I'm Adam Pranica. I'm also still embarrassed. I'm Ben Harrison. I didn't tell you this, but I saw a uh, <laughs> uh, the host of another Maximum Fun show on the street the other day. Oh no! And do do other not- Max Fun hosts even regard us in the streets? In these streets? Yeah, like I I thought about walking up and introducing myself, and then I, I was like, nah, I don't want to because I don't want him to maybe be like, no, you're not, you're not a peer. Hal Lublin, famously an asshole, uh, would have would have just taken you down to, <laughs> to street level had you approached him. Hal Lublin was such a nice guy when we met him. I completely agree. I want to party with him again. I know. He's the best. Yeah, we totally we totally bumped into Al, Hal Lublin at a house party, and it was like, whoa, this house party is dope. I immediately fell in love with him because we got into a super deep wrestling conversation, like, right away. It was awesome. <laughs> yeah, I just faded into the background at that point. Thing is, I want to be on Tights and Fights, but that show maybe maybe more than any other, really intimidates me. The idea of being on it. I have a very shallow level of wrestling knowledge that basically ended in, I think, 2003. Mm-hmm. I'm afraid all my references would be too dated for them. Yeah, you'd just be, you'd just be making the Degeneration X crotch <laughs> thrust the entire time, and they'd be like, Adam, please. <laughs> That's not a thing anymore. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> You know me, always making the Degeneration X crotch thing. Yeah, that's your, like, when you come out on stage at our live shows, you always do that, right? It's kind of my move. Yeah. <laughs> also, my move is a figure four leg lock that I that I put you in on stage <laughs> until you submit. Yeah. Very um, painful. Yeah, yeah. Adam, this episode, I believe, is going to come out within the same week as the debut of Friendly Fire. Oh boy. We've probably announced this elsewhere, but is it worth announcing what the the, the first movie we're going to watch for Friendly Fire is? I mean, let's go ahead and announce it. Okay. If it's if it's uh if it's redundant then whatever. Yeah. People need to know this stuff. Then hey, fuck us, right? <laughs> <laughs> Uh, we're going to watch the movie Saving Private Ryan. That will be the exciting and fun-filled film with which we launch our war movie-watching project. A film that uh, maybe maybe more than anything makes us confront what a poor idea the whole project is. <laughs> now, I think the movie that will do that is Schindler's List in episode two. <laughs> I don't think that's going to be <laughs> I'm going yeah. out on a limb. Yeah, that uh, the, let the record show episode two is not Schindler's List. I think the like the you know we're saving that for a live show, right? <laughs> right. <laughs> Nothing puts asses in seats like a grim depiction of one of the most unspeakable acts of cruelty ever visited on humans by other humans. 
I believe they... that was a part of Leonard Malton's review was nothing puts asses in seats like Schindler's List. <laughs> is a is it the same Schindler that makes the elevators? I don't know. Because I, I get in an elevator. A, I thought that was Tyson Crope, Tyson Coep, or something. Oh, I don't know what that is. Ben, I used to uh, in high school. I took a foreign language class. That language was German. Really? It was, uh, you were it was one a class, of those? It was a class in which you were given something called culture credits. Culture credit was a point system reward uh, in which you earned credits based on uh, German cultural experiences that you would have. So so, so if you could if prove you, that you had a Landjäger in your pocket to the... Yeah. Uh, the the con- the preparation or consumption of German food was, was a qualification for getting a point yeah watching a movie with german subtitles also a way to get points like ben, watching, have you watching know, like lethal weapon 2 with german subtitles was a was a creditable action it was indeed what yeah, yeah. when i was uh, in a french class in high school i made a video called croissant avec benjamin and I, uh, it was like a cooking show that I did in <laughs> you broken are such French. An idiot. <laughs> <laughs> like if I if I had to guess the name of a of a film that you made as a student, that would have come pretty close yeah. as a title. <laughs> it would have been in your top ten guesses. <laughs> yeah, I would have gotten there in less than ten. I still have a tape of that somewhere, and uh, it's that it's like the it's like the telltale heart. It's like beating in a box in in my office, and I'm always conscious of it. No matter where I am in the world, I'm conscious of it being there. Well, next time I visit, I hope to see it. Yeah, fortunately, it's on a uh, a now defunct format, so it'd be pretty hard to uh, be pretty hard to dig it out. Well, to finish uh, to finish my anecdote. Uh, no one has ever said that they watched Schindler's List more than the students of this class <laughs> who basically used it for points, like bi-weekly. Like, yep, watched Schindler's List again. Give me another culture credit point. And really, like, a teacher is going to be reticent to press a student on <laughs> on their proof of repeated <laughs> watchings of that movie. Because like it's so it's so sad. Like, uh, what did you get this time out of it? Is just a way to ruin the rest of your day. So it was. It's like you just say that you watch that movie, you oh, get man. the check off of the point, and then that would be that. A real conversation ender this for is, uh, uh, culture credit. This is precisely the kind of thing that led to Trump being elected. It's a uh, look. It was an unfair system. The system was the problem, Ben. <laughs> The system which asked students to to do these very flimsy culture credit tasks wasn't right. And so Oscar Sindler lied to the government repeatedly about how many Jew he had. He's a motherfucker. <laughs> Frau Uvalent was a terrible teacher. <laughs> Completely subjective in her grading of the students. Seriously, one of the worst teachers I've ever had And I'm not going to bleep out her name Actually, I should bleep out her name That's not cool 
Uh, uh, ben, we're, you and I just telling stories yeah, for the show, using our Marin Open. That's that's what the Marin Open's for, right? Doing wasting everybody's time. <laughs> Much like the title of the episode to come, Ben, season one, episode thirteen of Deep Space Nine. Thirteen episodes in already. Lucky thirteen. Episode today is the storyteller. Do you realize how incredible this is? No, of course you don't. We start with the reveal that the um, you, this is going to come as a as a, a major disappointment to you, Adam. But the Pakut and the Navat are uh, are having a disagreement, and uh, and but so. But who's going to mediate that? <laughs> obviously, Ben Cisco. <laughs> the Paku and the Navat are having a big disagreement. <laughs> but one Bajoran station commander is caught right in the middle. What they should have done is start this episode with the cold open of Cisco attempting to mediate a peace between the two factions in the last episode and it devolving into a knife fight. <laughs> and then, like, this is his ch- shot to, like, get back on top as a as a diplomat. Like, this is a redemption story, guys. This is that's what that's what this episode needed was like. Anything, anything at all. <laughs> I was hoping for like the glimpse at Cisco's dark past with a back on my planet. We used to solve disputes this way, and he like breaks a pool cue over his knee, <laughs> sets it in the middle of the room. I don't expect you to kill a 15 year old girl, but <laughs> if you want those river rights, you'll do what you have to do. <laughs> The other thing that's going on in the cold open is O'Brien is desperately trying to convince Cisco to let him get out of flying Bashir to Bajor on a runabout. And uh, Cisco is having none of it. So O'Brien, who is rightfully at this point in his life super creeped out by by Bashir, uh, gets, gets stuck uh, basically Ubering him to to the planet. I thought we we might have gotten another glimpse of Lieutenant Toast. Lieutenant George Primen, Starfleet Security. Yeah, because O'Brien O'Brien's like, look, we got more than six Federation people on the station, right? And then it's just crickets. <laughs> He's like, no, just me. I'm the only one that can drive this runabout. Yeah, they're really short-staffed right now. I mean, they were short-staffed in the last episode, too. Like, the the rescue operation for the most important person on Bajor involved two Starfleet officers and nobody else, as far as we could tell. They sent their best, too. <laughs> they sure did. At least they did that. Um, well, uh, <laughs> Major Kira and Commander Sisko head down to... Uh, to greet the the leader of the Paku, and uh, the door opens, and a gray-haired old man steps forward. But then, whoop, steps aside, and in his place steps a young woman. So, <laughs> I guess here in the 24th century, young women are being allowed to have political power. The devil, you say? You're not even old enough to drive. <laughs> Uh, she's uh, Varys Sewell, the Tetrarch of the Paku. Of course she is, Ben. What's a Tetrarch? 
I mean, contextually, she's uh, she's like the mayor, or yeah. whatever. She uh, she was given the mayorship after her dad died. I guess that's how the mayorships work. He vacated his seat. Uh, she crawled up into it, and uh, <laughs> and has been there at a very young age. Yeah, like a, a surprising kind of political leader for the Bajorans to have, given the fact that they're being considered for entry into the Federation. Like, are we really doing, uh, like, seats of power passed down from one me- member of a family to another? Or, like, wouldn't you have to be, like, a pretty democratic society to get into the Federation? Bajor really seems like... It seems contemporarily a lot like Earth, in which there are just so many little areas, like outlier areas, that have their own weird version of government yeah. and their own weird rule of law. In many ways, this is an exploration dispute. of the primitive parts of the Bajoran culture. Yeah. In other ways, it's uh, just a fucking bag full of clown shoes. <laughs> You're going to need a pretty big bag to hold all those clown shoes, Ben. Because <laughs> clown shoes are very large. Bashir and O'Brien pile into a Winnebago and are heading to Bajor. And uh, we get a an extended scene about how awkward it is between them. Like, Bashir is trying to... he's You know, he's doing all the work in a conversation. And O'Brien is just like, I don't want to talk to you, bro. I like don't I don't want to be here. I don't want to be around you. And uh if you ask me what I'm thinking about, I'm going to tell you the most boring thing I can think of on the spot. I thought a lot during this scene about, you know, it's just after the holidays been, and I think one of the movies that I watch most often during the last month is Planes, Trains and Automobiles, which is like a great exploration into the politics of an unwilling road trip i was having a perfectly nice trip until you walked into my life <laughs> you know like between two people two different people yeah and it's weird like how how caustic and broad and and occasionally not broad at all uh, candy and martin play their characters and how narrowly bashir and o'brien act act out their own animus for each other you know like we don't really get open war with them in a way that i think would be way more interesting like it's almost as if uh as if they're obeying the gene roddenberry precept about like not having conflict between federation people like it would be Mm -hmm. okay if they were openly hostile with each other but they don't even come close to that the thing is we've just spent the last two hours alone together in this runabout and you've hardly said a word to me the whole time really (sighs) I hadn't noticed. And I think Bashir isn't even like really picking up on what's going on. Like, like he's there's an obliviousness to Bashir that that sort of like it unlocks the whole thing for him for his character for me in this scene, which is like right. he doesn't he doesn't grasp his own power because for him who outranks O'Brien to ask him a question like "Do I annoy you?" is <laughs> wildly inappropriate because he doesn't understand that a subordinate could never answer that question honestly. Yeah, it's um how do I answer this in a way that is honest and or not insulting? <laughs> like when uh, like my parents were visiting recently and uh when they were leaving my mom was like, "Hey, I bet you're glad to have us out of your hair, huh?" And I was like, <laughs> "Don't like 
never even set that up as a premise in a conversation. Because <laughs> <laughs> you're not going to like the answer, and it just puts me in a really awkward position. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the way this is done right is when you're Jellicoe. Jellicoe right. did it right. Mm-hmm. He was like, let's just drop the ranks. Uh, I think you're a son of a bitch. <laughs> like, that's how you do it. Bashir never drops rank, and that's the main problem. Yep. So they, they get to this town, and I guess the mission that they've been told is that this town is being threatened with uh, total destruction, and that's kind of all they know, but they know it's like a medical thing. So I guess they're assuming that this is some kind of like outbreak hot zone, like maybe they go in in, uh, in like hazmat suits. That'd be cool. They just drop a daisy cutter from the runabout. (laughs) (laughs) Problem solved. Episode over. (laughs) Boy, we haven't had a cut to to end music in a long time, Ben. Yeah. (laughs) That felt good. It's good to play the hits every so often. Yeah. Um, It's an oldie but a goodie. They're like, guys, you got to meet this old man. This old man's job the entire time has been saving us from destruction every year on the day. This yeah. thing comes at us, threatens to kill us, and this old man saves us. It's pretty. It's a good deal for us, except he's sick. Have you guys ever read the children's book, Abby Yo-Yo? The old people used to tell stories about the giants that lived in the old days. I mean, like, our whole village is kind of like that in a lot of ways. Anyways, let's, uh, let's, let us introduce you. Here's the crazy thing about this. We've never called for help about this problem before. Nobody from outside of this little tiny village knows about this crazy thing that happens here. No science has ever been done on this situation. And so Bashir and O'Brien are introduced to this old man, this old bedridden man, whose name is Sarah, uh, known for being a little more bland than a Cabernet bin. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, sort of a good braising wine, I'd say. A little spicier and less fruity than a... Uh, than a pinot yeah you don't want to pair that with uh with with big spicy red meat you want to dial that back yeah and this dude is clinging to death and he's like where is where is the person that the prophets have sent me and he he looks at bashir's skin on his hand (laughs) and is like nope too dark get me the white and (laughs) they bring o'brien over and he looks at him and he's like yeah you'll do one of the most he's, like he's openly like, racist things that I've ever seen in Star Trek. Like it's, since it's, Code of Honor, this is just like holy shit. Like there's a guy standing there in later hosen to like fully cement how racist this situation is. <laughs> <laughs> what, what the hell? He's totally like he's he's totally peak old. He's he's laid up in a craftmatic adjustable. <laughs> he's watching nothing but headline news morning, noon, and night. And he's like, Nope, this guy's an Arab. <laughs> <laughs> the thing is, he's got a handler, right? This old guy, Sarah, has got like who He's who, got a who, petite Sarah, if you will. <laughs> he's got a successor. Who's sort of like hanging out in the periphery? This kind of He's a, guy kind of looks like if Fred Armisen and Rob Schneider had a had a had a child together. This is, that's what this guy looks like. 
Oh, sure. Yeah. He's the one hanging out in the later hose in Adam. O'Brien doesn't really take this too seriously. He's like, sure, whatever, old man. Like, uh, whatever, you racist son of a bitch. Like, <laughs> we're not going to be here long enough to do anything about your problem anyway. Like, you're talking about these uh, these sky monsters, like, raining hellfire down on you. Like, I'd like to see that. Yeah. Like, they sort of write him off as a kook. Yeah. I mean, and, and, and the old man, like, very convincingly plays the the role that he that he has here as like you know he like has the crazy eyes and like is saying things that they don't understand but then you know the second you put a wooden stick in his hand and put him on top of a craggly rock while a storm is raging around him it's like whoa (laughs) he uh you know what he plays big really well and and it's because he was the Scytherian in TNG, Ben. You remember oh, that guy? Oh, shit. When they took the ship way out there, like way yeah. out there. Like, whoa. He was the guy that uh, that that popped up on the bridge, the was big head Was it the guy. Traveler that took them there? Was that how that went? Yeah. Or did the Scytherian... Did the Scytherian bring them there with, uh, with Barkley? Is that what that episode is? Oh, man. They're all they're all just sort of a uh, all the these uh these Scytherian storylines just sort of just a, a spray in my mind. Yeah, it's a uh, it's blurring together. I'm losing focus. Well, back on uh, Derp Space Nern, the um. <laughs> The talks, like like Cisco's idea is like, we're going to get these talks started in kind of an informal way. We'll just have a hang like this morning before like the formal peace conference starts later today. And so he gets uh, the Tetrarch and her counterpart from, what are they called? The Navat? Yeah. She, uh, and, and they get together and the Navat guy is like a grumpy old middle-aged man. Like, you know, looks like a guy that, you have to work for it. Your first job who's really pissed off that he's not higher up in the company. Who just loves bossing around 15 year olds. Yeah. And, uh, which is sort of great casting because that's what he gets to do. Yep. The center of the dispute that these two people have is that they have like an ancient peace treaty that establishes that some river is the dividing line between their territories. But, uh, oblivious to this treaty, the Cardassians, when they controlled Bajor, diverted the river to, you know, do some some irrigation project or whatever. And so because of that, the Paku wound up with a whole bunch more land than they uh, were, you know, than the spirit of the treaty meant for them to have. But uh, the letter of the treaty uh, defends their point. So, you know, this is that's why they are in in such disagreement pretty low stakes yeah it's low stakes but like the implication is that they could go to war over this right like the it's 20 kilometers of land yeah that's 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 the dispute i mean i'm an ignorant american i don't really have a great sense of what 20 kilometers of land means I have no idea. That I mean, could be not, my backyard for all I know. Is that 20 square kilometers or 20, did the river move over 20 kilometers? Is it like thousands of square kilometers? Because they, like hundreds of miles of the river moved over several miles. Is it like a Kessel Run to Parsecs equation <laughs> situation? I don't think we can fully understand this. Yeah. 
this, and we're uh, not supposed to. No, yeah, it's a, uh, it's really like the the terms of the dispute are established and then quickly like forgotten about because what this girl is really here to do is be the object of affection for Nog. Jake and Nog are like up to no good hanging around on the promenade and they finally pay off the the rich tapestry of storytelling of uh of Jake and Nog looking at Bajoran girls <laughs> when when this perfect Bajoran girl appears. Yeah. Got real nice hair at him. I see what they see in her. She's real pretty and she's real smart and she's powerful. Yeah, I don't think that they ever quite figure out that she is powerful. They treat her like a contemporary. They treat her like a kid. Yeah, and that's got it like like you can see her really appreciating that in scenes like she talks a lot of shit later in the episode to cisco about like oh i was just using them to like learn about you but like really i think you know heavy lies the crown and she was kind of happy to have some knuckleheads to divert her attention while she's in the midst of this stressful ass conference ben one way in which my attention was diverted was i guess i'm just gonna come out and say it ben uh there is a problem with Jake Sisko, W slash R slash T, Nuck. And I think we just need to put it out there. It's almost it's almost because of the actor's age, Nuck, which should not be mentioned. Right. Like, Nuck, Nuck which, should, which should go unregarded, but for the idea that his Nuck is front and center in basically every scene. They really... He has, he has more it- costume changes than anyone else on the show. He has like... He has eight onesies, none of which have belts. All of them have like empire waists and yeah. are like nuck form fitting. You got to put the kid in some in some longer shirts that cover up the nuck. Ben, I don't understand it. Why are they doing this to him? I don't know. I mean, like they have kind of an established look for kids that they are inheriting from from TNG, which is everybody is basically in like space pajamas. Give the kid a codpiece, though. <laughs> you know? Yeah, so that he looks more like, you know, like a superhero or something. <laughs> I mean, it would be... It'd be less weird than what we're getting. Yeah. Like... It's not flattering, Nog, either. Nog at least gets to wear, like, pantaloons and blouses so that, you know, he doesn't have, like, undue knuck. It's... It's a troubling amount of knuck. Ben. Yeah, it's a, it's it's a troubling amount of knuck, and it's like I don't understand. Like the thing that really just, how could is no one else see this? Like we're not the only ones to see this. They're they're actually wardrobe is designing a costume. Yeah, and and they know what this looks like. When you go in for a fitting, you like stand in front of a mirror. You often like take Maybe pictures in a bunch mirrors. of different looks, and then like the director signs off on one. What the. What the fuck? Like, how do they not go like, oh, well, his dork is poking out in a distracting way in the middle there. So not this one. That seems like an easy call. That's an easy call to make. It's red pen X over the knuck. No! Yeah. <laughs> and not going to go keep, with that one. Keep squiggling. Naughty jungle of love. The explanation that makes sense is that they took measurements of the actor who plays Jake. They they took measurements of Sirac Lofton, and they pre-made all the uniforms, and then it was just too late. Like, <laughs> like it's a sunk cost fallacy. Like, it's 
They're already pot committed to that nuck bed. Yeah, they're. <laughs> yeah, you don't want to throw good nuck money after bad. <laughs> it. I mean, and this is SD. Yeah, they're they're lighting this in profile. They're pronouncing the nuck. Here's the conspiracy theory, Adam. They've they've said that not enough people bought the Blu-ray edition of TNG, so that's why no DS9 HD remaster. What our theory presupposes is maybe they're conscious of the fact that they might all be sent to jail for the NUC situation when a higher resolution is brought to light on the character of Jake Sisko. Hey, uh, hey, costume designers, why don't you take a seat over there? <laughs> And what's going on here seems pretty pervy, doesn't it? <laughs> Why did you show up to work today with a six-pack of uh, Bacardi Breezers <laughs> and, a, and a pizza from Round Table? What is, what is that about? I feel like we had to talk about it. Like, it's the nuck in the room, Ben. We had to talk about it, and hopefully we will we will just never talk about it again. It's it's. It's been referred to. It's in. It's in the log. Yeah, I mean, Nuck, which should not be mentioned. Ever I will again. fucking guarantee you that we will get some concern trolling for the fact that we discussed it. I always do. Always do. Hey, listen. I know you guys are normally like really cool on these issues, but what's the other thing that we get? It's not concern trolling. It's uh, it's it's almost the exact opposite. People say that we're we're doing too much virtue signaling. Oh, no, they say you do too much virtue signaling, Ben. No one ever makes that, that <laughs> accusation of me, which in a weird way, like, makes me feel bad, like, as if I'm less virtuous than you I or willing to, to be these virtuous. Things and I'm like, what the fuck are they talking about? Adam's on my side on this. Sure. I'm just not sending out those signals, Ben. Yeah. I don't know what's going on. We're doing some heavy nuck signaling. That's what we're doing <laughs> in this episode. Here's what I'm doing, Ben. I'm touching all the titles. I'm licking them all. Lick those titles, Adam. <laughs> what are you drinking, buddy? Uh, I just finished. I went down to the nerdy beer store in my neighborhood. I just finished one called the Noble Aleworks Ale Fun Light, <laughs> which is a... Uh, a light beer from a nerdy beer beer producer, and now I'm going to be do, drinking a uh, a Colette Farmhouse Ale from Great Divide Brewery in Denver, That's Colorado. Nice. Oh, like a Denver beer? Yeah, I'm drinking a beer uh, from the Alchemist in Vermont, uh, known to be some very great beers. We brought them back from Vermont uh, yeah. when my wife and I attended. Uh, Friend of the pod, Grant's wedding over there. Hey. Uh, ben, have you ever brought beer home from a trip and then had the beer explode in a <laughs> in a checked bag? Because no. that's what happened to us. <laughs> that wasn't fun. Uh, yeah, I, um, I really just never put anything explosive in a checked bag. I'm drinking one of the two farmer's daughters that we brought back, the other farmer's daughter, Done exploded. <laughs> yeah, it's like that classic joke where the uh, the traveling salesman has to spend the night in the in the barn, and the farmer says, "Don't explode my daughters." Is the only rule. 
It's such a classic. Yeah. The big point on Mr. Bucket, that was in a pail. A bucket in a pail. Mr. Bucket, I have to revert back to my living state. I don't use the bucket anymore. Bashir and uh, O'Brien are down on this planet, and uh, the a storm kicks up. We are ready! This is the uh, the... The visit of the Dal Rock that happens f- for five consecutive nights once a year in this village. And they help this racist old coot down <laughs> from his deathbed uh, to hobble out to the, to the like, promontory in the middle of town. And like Moses in a, in a Bible picture from the 30s, he stands up there with the wind whipping around <laughs> and the bad green screen key on the on the uh, potted plants behind him. Could it be some kind of holographic image? No, I'm not picking up any power source. <laughs> this guy overhead is this big milky blob, which is like not really what they described. They said that there was a monster that lived in the woods and it would come out of the woods and kill people or whatever. And yeah, instead, not it's the same. Like, it's like space being that looks like milk and oil or something. It's sub-Nagilum level effects work here. Yeah, and the effects work is not going to get better over the course of the scene. It's going to get worse because he whips the people into a frenzy like 1984, you know, the hate at noon. And uh, and they're like beaming, beaming like uh, rays of love out of their out of their noggins at this cloud. And then and it's like it's like receding into the sky and then old man catches a heart attack he goes down and uh and the cloud goes back to full strength and starts taking pot shots at things and you know it's like uh, it's shooting beams of light into the into the into the village and actually causing some destruction bloody hell the stakes seem existential like and yet, I never felt like they were in any danger. Yeah. You know? Like, if this thing had the power to, the power to kill them all, uh, again, like, this is the backup problem that this show frequently runs into. Like, uh, Bashir and O'Brien should do the responsible thing and call for backup. But they never do. This is a crystalline entity level threat. Right. I guess they're looking at this old guy and they're like, well, if this guy can fight him off, like, we should be all right. <laughs> Yeah, one and thing so, that's uh, pretty funny that the uh, one of the townspeople says is like he's the only one strong enough to fight the thing off, and they just take that, uh, they just take his word for it. Like, so you're all weaker than this man who's like dying on this bed, which makes the idea of uh, of old man Merlot bequeathing the, this task to O'Brien like <laughs> sort of medium insulting. Yeah, <laughs> he's like, you look like a guy who doesn't want to go home. <laughs> <laughs> Why don't you stay here and fight off this lava lamp? Yeah. Um, but uh, they they help the old man up, and, and he gets people back uh, back whipped into a frenzy, and they, they're like, fuck you, Cloud, fuck you. and, and the, Old man yells at Cloud. <laughs> and the, uh, and the, uh, the rainbow glitter light uh, kills the Cloud, and they all cheer, and they're... Amidst their reverie, the old man uh, bails out once more, and uh, and Doctor Bashir declares him dead on the spot. He kind of eats shit on the side of this mountain. It yeah. doesn't look like 
It doesn't look like a stunt man. Like if it's the old man doing a practical fall, it looks somewhat painful. Yeah, he goes down pretty hard. Good thing he's wearing all those blankets. Yeah. The guy that is like, I guess the mayor of the village or something is like, well, don't worry, everybody, because while this guy died, he left us a successor. And uh, and here he is, Chief O'Brien. <laughs> <laughs> O'Brien is like, like one finger down the, down the collar of his shirt, like, <laughs> oh, I'm going to. Dread calling home at the end of this work day. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Miles, why aren't you home yet? <laughs> well, these people turned me into their god. <laughs> Double god now. <laughs> so back on the station on what is really our A story, a plan is hatched. A plan between This Nog- is like the most insane pairing of two stories to be told in, in parallel, yeah. by the way. <laughs> Like if you're if you're telling two stories in parallel, usually like you kind of try and make them like be thematically related and have interesting valences and things to say about each other. Not this episode. It's like the A story looks at the B story and is like, "Hold my beer. We can be less important <laughs> than that." <laughs> Jake and Nog see Verisul like in their old uh you know balcony spot, you know, kicking her legs over the side, being all being all sad teenager about things. They're like, hey, if it if it was anything but a pretty girl, we'd be pissed that she's in our spot, but this is great. Right. And they're like, and uh Nog is like, hey, you wanna have a little fun? I got a great idea. Let's go steal Odo's bucket. <laughs> This and might be the only thing that is redeeming this episode, is that this is a great prank. Complete disagree, Ben. Verisul has no idea of Odo's bucket significance, doesn't know Odo, doesn't even know Jake and Nog, and yet she's like, yeah, I'm super bored about, th- about being on the precipice of war. I'm going to go do this prank with these two strangers. So... Because Adam, Nog- are you telling me that you're not familiar with the phenomenon of adolescent boys trying to impress girls by doing things that they don't realize are going to be insanely off-putting to girls. Oh yeah, I I I am become that. <laughs> All your so, nog are belong to us. Nog stole one of the uh one of the honey sticks out of out of Quark's bar that <laughs> that allows him to open up any door in the station. Sneaks in there and grabs Odo's bucket and uh, and does like a little bit of physical comedy. He like does the fall. does the trip and fall and spills what he says to be Odo's liquid body all over Jake. Oh! Odo, a liquid body which uh, has taken the form of wet oatmeal. It's oatmeal. I filled it from the replicator. My wife Delicious. was eating oatmeal this morning and said, "Hmm." I really missed oatmeal. And I said, that is not a sentiment I will ever express. <laughs> I missed you, oatmeal. <laughs> I missed you so much. <laughs> Would you put oatmeal in my bucket? <laughs> it puts the oatmeal in the bucket. It puts the oatmeal in the bucket whenever it is told. 
Jake rubs the oatmeal on his skin. (laughs) (laughs) Or else he gets even more oatmeal again. Mm. He is positively covered in this oatmeal pen. Yeah. Uh, One of the eight Jake jumpsuits that he's been issued. Probably, this one's probably going to get thrown in the dumpster. Yeah. I feel like he had like a different jumpsuit when they hatched the plan too. Like, yeah, I'm looking at it now. He's in a purple jumpsuit when they hatch the the prank plan, and then when they do the prank, he's in a green jumpsuit. So <laughs> he was like, so there you cool go, idea, Pe- Nog. I'm going to head to my room and just do a quick quick wardrobe change, but uh, I'll meet up with you guys at the security office. All you viewers who write in saying we don't care about this show, we don't pay attention... That's some that's some hardcore knowledge right there. Different jumpsuits. Yeah. Jumpsuit gate. Laid bare. Jumpsuit gate 2018. They're they're laughing about this and you know Nog reveals that he just filled the bucket up in the replicator. <laughs> and then How does Nog know what oatmeal is? <laughs> also, like he should have no idea what oatmeal is. Yeah. That would be a fun little like I would love to discover that there was a deleted scene of Nog like consulting with the computer. Like, <laughs> what's a viscous substance that I can get a bunch of? <laughs> That's a great idea. What would you? Hey, hey, Ben. Yeah. What would you have filled the bucket up with? You're at the you're at the replicator. You have five seconds to make a decision. What's it going to be? I'm going with honey, because because I mean, like that's what Odo looks like when he's melty. I am going with blood in, in sort of a in sort of a carry scene, right? I'm gonna I'm gonna do a carry callback, fill that bucket with blood. Oh yeah, when Odo is uh, in his bucket, he's blood. <laughs> was there blood in the bucket before? It is a blood bucket, so yeah, there was old blood. I mean, here's there's a subtext to Jake and Nog's friendship here, which is sort of like they're which is that they're sort of in competition for Varys Sewell's affection. Yeah, and Nog is sort of like this whole pratfall is an attempt to ugly up Jake in a way that makes him unattractive. Mm-hmm. What's more ugly than blood? You cover yeah. Jake with that blood, I think uh, I think the battle is won yeah. for Team Nog. Yeah, and also it would be harder for Jake to get a handful of the blood and throw it back, which he does <laughs> with the oatmeal. Like, if you were a set dresser, you this is like your nightmare, right? You've yeah. got two child actors throwing oatmeal around your set. Like... Just out of frame, you know there's a bunch of Visqueen on the carpet, right? Yeah, yeah. Golden cotton. The Golden cotton. So, I think this is a great prank because Nug leads Jake and uh, and Varys to believe that this is going to be a prank on Odo when in fact it is a prank on Jake. And and uh, and the prank goes great. Jake Nug's gets- a dick though, right? Any prank that results in in a clothing change, I think that's a dick prank. <laughs> I think I think when your best friend is Jake Sisko, guy who changes outfits in between <laughs> ideas, <laughs> like that's not that's not that big of a problem for him. <laughs> oh, this I have twenty more of them back in my uh, in my quarters. They all I show the this. same amount of nuck. Yeah. Ugh. But Nog gets cut. Orange-handed by uh, Commander Sisko as he attempts to flee the scene, and uh, Odo and, uh, and and Sisko like kind of converge on the 
on the security office, and uh, it's pretty clear that they're all in a heap of trouble. Less so for Vera Sewell, I think. She's a diplomat, and she's not from the station. Like, yeah. if anyone's going to get away scot-free, it's going to be her. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, uh, back on the uh, surface of planet Bajor in the most isolated town of all time, uh, <laughs> Chief O'Brien, newly minted Syrah of town, is getting, like, gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh brought to him. And uh, if that wasn't enough, they also bring him the three town prostitutes, apparently. <laughs> and he has the, to explain, uh... like, oh, yeah, no, I'm uh, I'm a married man. And they're like, oh, uh, get out of here, hookers. Uh uh, do do you want us to like call your wife and get her down here? Because you're gonna be living here forever now. <laughs> He's like, no, God, please do not call her. <laughs> <laughs> he begins sort of apologetically, like, Ugh, it pains me to say this, but I do have a wife. <laughs> uh, there is nothing more that I'd like than to start over with your harem, <laughs> but. <laughs> These, Get a uh, fresh start. That's what I'd like to do. These girls all look like people that Nog and Jake would subject to the male gaze as they attempted to walk around in public on Deep Space Nine, and uh, for that they should be applauded. Way to keep it classy, O'Brien. Bashir sort of like uh, angel and devil on O'Brien's shoulders is like, don't you understand? These girls are for you, man. <laughs> and if you don't want to take them, I'm second in line. <laughs> Yeah, and uh, O'Brien is like, well, Julian, like, your creepiness is well known to everybody, but I'm not quite sure that's how it works. <laughs> your creepiness is legendary. <laughs> so so they got, like, a little bit of a mystery here. They're like, okay, th- like, we were we were rolling tricorders the entire time that crazy cloud came out last night, and we were getting nothing. Like, no evidence of an atmospheric disparate, dis- disturbance, like... The the cloud itself didn't show up on our sensors, and yet it was like shoot, it was licking shots in the atmosphere and like you know taking chunks out of buildings and stuff. So something happened. So there must be something up here, and and they're trying to like look into it. And O'Brien is like, is "Hey Ben, like, do you think we'll ever find out what's up?" <laughs> O'Brien is uh, is like tearing the Syrah's apartment a- uh, apart, trying to find the the crap that uh, that is causing this. And uh, Petite Syrah sneaks in and is like, is like, "Hey, man, sorry, uh, I got sorry, I got to do this, but uh, but you're not the not the rightful Syrah. I am." And he whips out a knife, and they're having like a uh, a struggle where he's. Uh, attempting to knife Chief O'Brien to death, and uh, Julian Bashir enters and, uh, and and manages to wrest the knife out of the guy's hand. And they're like, <laughs> instead of just arresting him and uh, putting him away for an, the attempted murder of, a, of an off-world military officer, they're like, why did you try to kill me? <laughs> In case you had any question about the the level of indignity that O'Brien's willing to brook from anyone, <laughs> this guy tried to kill him, and he continues to walk the street a free man. Yeah. But so what he reveals is that um, the 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 Dalrock is a 
is not so much a real monster as a a fictional device that was invented by one of his predecessors, uh, the first Syrah. Uh, this town was full of assholes who, I guess, wanted to kill each other, and he <laughs> he united them around a common enemy in the Dalrock by using a fragment of a a prophet orb, which is uh, taken the form of a jewel and a bracelet. And by focusing the power of this of this jewel, he like created this enemy and then got them all to commonly hate this enemy. And, uh, you know, he used a classic populist political ploy coupled with profit magic to, uh, to get this town working together. Profit magic sounds like a certain tax plan we know, Ben. <laughs> Something D-O-O economics. Voodoo economics. Letters. We get letters. <laughs> we get letters every goddamn week. <laughs> and so, I like, this is where this episode really kind of betrays the values of Trek to me. Because... <laughs> Like this is this is the part. The well, like it's a bad episode, but that's not alien to Trek. <laughs> what is alien to Trek is going like, oh, you used lies and and illusions and risk people's lives with uh with like alien technology you're not fully in control of, in order to like enforce a, a political reality, like. We'll do everything in our power to help you continue this project. Like, that is insane. Yeah, they shouldn't do that, especially because this thing is dangerous, right? Like, it hurts people every year. It's knocking people off mountains. It's killing old people. Yeah. Like, like this is a, this is a real threat that they've conjured. And instead, like, like in, a, in a universe where Captain Picard is, like, unwilling to, to like, plant ideas with the Mentakins of of his deity so that they can like cover up the fact that Starfleet was there spying on them. Uh, in this, in this episode, O'Brien like puts on a dashiki and goes out there and attempts to like, <laughs> attempts to be, be for these people. What the Syrah was. <laughs> Chief O'Brien. <laughs> Occasionally. I will go up into the atmosphere of my planet. <laughs> it's the only place that I have total privacy to jerk off. <laughs> <laughs> Occasionally, I will... As a doubt, I, I produce a volume of ejector <laughs> that is probably quite alarming to you as a human being. On one of my more recent enjoyments of my own body... <laughs> I managed to to steer my Taoism towards Bajor, <laughs> where it manifests itself on the mountaintop, <laughs> where you currently reside. <laughs> Most are powerless to stop it. <laughs> Rashan was unable to have children, therefore, her womb was the only thing able to stop my fierce Taoism. <laughs> Perhaps your Dashiki has a Rashan womb level defense mechanism that can save your townspeople. <laughs> um, 
while while O'Brien is badly, Kevin's trying to make space babies, like in two thousand one, right? What if he's just he's just shooting it all around, Ben? Yeah, yeah. I'm trying to spread my seed far and wide. <laughs> this is a part of my life where I've decided to take advantage of the fact that. I don't have a monogamous relationship tying me down and show my wild oats. It just so happens that my oats are very, very dangerous. Unlike the oats in the bucket that Nog flung on Jake Sisko in this episode, mine can cause buildings to collapse, can cause women and children to die. And yet they must be shown. It takes a bucket the size of a cement mixer to contain my oats. <laughs> you show me a chief of security that needs a bucket that big, I'll show you somebody that can maybe stand up to a dowd. <laughs> Well, this episode got a whole lot better once we made it canonical doubt. Yeah, yeah. Big improvement. What are you doing now? Exactly. When O'Brien is up there kind of fumbling through his attempt to whip the crowd into the kind of frenzy they need to be in to shoot their uh, their rainbow glitter beam at the uh, at the Dowdism, um, Bashir turns to Petit Sarah and is like, hey, um, I've spent uh, a time or two in a writer's room, and I would say that like the really obvious thing that is going on here is that... Your failure as a Syrah was a problem and that the uh, the racist old man you're replacing like planted this bumbling fool up here so that you could take over for him and prove your worth to these uh, these rustics that you're going to be the Syrah for for the rest of your career. So why don't you run up there, grab the, uh, the bracelet and uh, take over for my buddy because he is clearly dying on his feet up there. And uh, and so up the guy goes. He uh, does a great job. Really, uh, you know, really gets the crowd on his side. They start chanting that he is the Syrah and not O'Brien. And O'Brien's like, great, because that was not not my bag. Anyways, guys, we're out of here. Um, you can keep the dashiki. Uh, nice <laughs> meeting all of you. Uh, bye. <laughs> what the fuck happened? <laughs> O'Brien had a nice little adventure. Yeah, fun little time for O'Brien. <laughs> Did you like this episode, Ben? Well, we got a little button, Adam. Oh, I skipped. I skipped at the end, didn't I? Yeah. So the the whole thing with uh, what's her face meeting Nog is that um, she like gets some some Ferengi wisdom, which is like, oh, you shouldn't be approaching this negotiation as like we will not brook any uh, secession of land to our enemies but uh but instead like well let's use this as leverage and get something from them that we want like we don't care about this land but you know they really do so and uh and so 
it's something something trading rights with with regard to the river or something and uh she like expresses some embarrassment for being involved in the bucket caper to uh <laughs> commander cisco and she's off and there's uh, like an interesting bit of of like because you and I don't care about the decision that she comes to. The episode doesn't care about the decision that she comes to. It's more about like the lesson that the decision teaches. Right. Which like Cisco's advice to Verisol is like n- no is less risky than yes, but like sometimes saying yes is the only way to win anything. So maybe maybe take a risk on yes. Yeah. And she's like she's like I'm going to try that. That's great. Yeah. So, so some uh... Uh, and then the button on the episode is Bashir and O'Brien, like getting off, uh, you know, getting coming out of the uh, out of the airlock, and um, they're now a, a lot closer as as comrades. You know, they've been through a thing together, and uh, O'Brien is like, "Hey, man, like, don't spread that crazy story around because I am not uh, <laughs> not fond of what happened down there." <laughs> Do you think he left his dashiki on the runabout? No, he lifts he he doesn't even give it to Petit Sarah. He leaves it piled up on the rock. I was like, what the fuck are you doing? Like the the thing to do in that scene is like drape the cape around the guy, like like he's fucking James Brown, because he is. You've got a Mintakan tapestry that shit. You gotta drape it over your, your office chair as a reminder of the growth that you went through. Oh yeah. That's right? the other thing you could do. Ben, one thing I noticed in this scene that now I can't unsee is there's a step to the airlock that heads to the runabout. Yeah. And that step comes to a point. It is shaped like a triangle, and it comes to a very sharp point that sticks out like two feet from the doorway. Yeah. That thing is a shin killer, man. Yeah. People have got to be getting killed on that thing. Yeah, that's not... uh... That is not OSHA approved. The Cardassians don't have good accessibility built into their designs. Not at all. Well, the question I couldn't wait to ask you earlier, Ben, was did you like this episode? <laughs> I like talking about it. I like making fun yeah. of it. <laughs> this, is one of, this is one of those, isn't it? Yeah. Uh, you know, I think it's a, it's a, a tried and true first season of a Star Trek show situation to be like, Oh, like the last episode, we showed you some real potential, and now we are going to squander all of that. <laughs> like, it was just such a silly episode. It was so, uh, it was ridiculous. It was like it didn't know what universe it took place in. It was unintentionally funny, I thought, in a yeah. number of parts. Yeah. And and when it tried to be funny, it wasn't funny to me. Like, the bucket prank, eh, like, I don't know. Star Trek doesn't do slapstick very well. Yeah, I guess not. But unintentionally funny was <laughs> O'Brien and the Dashiki. That's great. Yeah. Did you like the episode, Adam? I like opportunities given to O'Brien to grow the character. <laughs> like, like uh, Fish Out of Water is a fun genre for me. O'Brien is a good personification of that when he's given the opportunity. Uh, Kalamini, well acted sure. in in that role, super fun. But like, I wish the part of the episode that I wish was more toothsome was the the 
was how argumentative I had hoped Bashir and O'Brien would be on this mission. Yeah. But they never were. Yeah, it was mostly like Bashir pointing out things that O'Brien was too dumb to notice. Right. And at no point did O'Brien be like, shut the fuck up, Bashir. Like, I know these are concubines. <laughs> like, I've seen concubines before. That's basically all I do in the hollow suites is like piles of concubines. Yeah. So I don't know. Like, I, I want that to either come to it. I want it to come to a head and then like reveal a deeper friendship. But I don't feel like the show is willing to go there at this point. Well, do you want to check uh, our priority one messages, see if there's anything in there? I know we got some of that. Yeah, baby. Priority one message from Starfleet coming in on secured channel. Need a supplemental income. Supplemental income? Supplemental. Supplemental. Yeah, it's extra. But the interest alone could be enough to buy this ship. Ben, our first priority one message is from the ghost of bingo channeled through Kirstar Shrimp Colgar. <laughs> <laughs> the message is for Mock and Mike, but mostly Mock. Hmm. Message goes like this, and in parentheses it says, "In voice of Bob Vila, after twenty Bud Lights, please." <laughs> that should be no problem for you tonight. Oh, Mock, I see you getting out of your car there. Let me talk to you for a minute. <laughs> the neighborhood has gone downhill after you left. After you and the small guy and the other two moved out. It's put me into a deep, dark depression. But since you borrowed my truck that one time, I need you to do me a favor. <laughs> See, that's not a Bob Vila impression. That's a This Old House impression. Yeah. I can't do... I don't have a Vila. I don't have a Vila in my tool belt. Yeah, I think, I think this is what they were asking for. Well, that's what they get. <laughs> I think a lot of... Uh, focus has been put on Raz and Plavim, where Mike Muck and Shrimp Colgar uh, deserve more attention. I agree. Give me more Mike and Muck. Yeah. Uh, give me a little more Gooch, for that matter. Sure. Well, Gooch is always in the, uh, in the Team Raz P1s, right? Et tu, Gooch? <laughs> You're saying you feel betrayed by Gooch? Because there hasn't been a P1 in like four episodes or something. Here's what I'm going to do. I'm turning the camera right now. I'm looking at you, Gooch. <laughs> it's time for you to go solo. Anyone known as the Gooch should be sending their own priority one messages. I'm calling you out. Okay. Fair enough. <laughs> Adam, our second priority one message for this episode is from Richard, and it's for Yvonne. It goes like this. To she who is my wife... Despite your love of sci-fi versus my fantasy, comic books versus computer games, and different star universes, we've managed to coexist without much bloodshed for many years now. I love you, and I hope you enjoy this late Christmas present. Adam and Ben, thanks for consuming all my wife's attention. Let's eat some Korean barbecue. Hey, I'm always down for some KBBQ. Hey, anytime you want to invite your favorite podcasters for KBB, throw it out there. Yeah, we we will disabuse you of your Star Wars fandom post-haste. I will suspend any awkward feelings I have about dining with strangers. <laughs> if, it's, <laughs> if it's over the fire of a Korean barbecue, Ben. Yeah, uh, we picked the venue, though. Sure. Yeah. We don't want to show up at like some strip mall Korean barbecue place and find that it's been 
carefully set decorated to be a trick for killing us. We have extremely high Korean barbecue standards, <laughs> you and I, and we are unwilling to lower them. Yeah, exactly. Well, if uh, if your standards for messaging are as high as ours, as, as high as the standards that Ben and I have for Korean barbecue, uh, you can do no better than sending a priority one message. You can do that by going to MaximumFun.org slash Jumbotron, where you can... Once there, reach the tens of thousands of viewers we have for this show. You have an idea or a message? You want to get out to that many people? That's where you do it. Personal messages are $100. Commercial messages are $200. And they're one of the great ways to support the ongoing production of the show, Ben. Sure is. Darmok, Angelad, and Boy, do I love a microdose gummy from Lumi Labs. I'm, uh, I'm running low, so I'm going to head over to microdose.com pretty soon and put in another order. Microdosing is a technique I use to steer my mentals in a preferred direction several times a week. And uh, I just love it because you can really predict what is going to happen and to what degree it is going to happen because these are very low-dose cannabis gummies that uh, give you an entry-level dose that help you feel just the right amount of good. And they've been super loyal as sponsors to Greatest Trek and Greatest Gen, so I hope you will give them a try. Get 30% off your first order plus free shipping today at microdose.com. Promo code SCARVES. It's available nationwide. That's microdose.com. Promo code is SCARVES for 30% off and free shipping. Microdose.com. Promo code SCARVES. You might have heard us talk about Squarespace before, and you're thinking, what do I need a website for? I already have a bunch of profiles across the different social medias. But isn't it time you had a place online that wasn't owned by a social media company? How about you take control of your online identity with a website of your own? For that, there's Squarespace. With Squarespace, you can buy a URL and build a customized website with your name, and not a giant social media company's name, with your name attached and a bunch of numbers at the end. With Squarespace, you can have a place on the internet personalized to your aesthetic that lets you tell people about who you are instead of an algorithm. And the best part is, you don't have to be an experienced designer or a web page creator to make something great because Squarespace is always there for you with their award-winning 24 by 7 customer support. Don't settle for being another company's product. Be your own product with a website that's all you with Squarespace. Go to squarespace.com for a free trial, and when you're ready to launch, use the offer code SCARVES to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. That's squarespace.com. The code is SCARVES. Think it. Dream it. Make it with Squarespace. Back for another game. You know it. What's going on? Just one more week till Max Fun Drive. <laughs> Hard to believe. It's been a heck of a year since the last one. We're now a worker-owned co-op. We raised $50,000 for charity last year. And we've added a bunch of awesome new shows. But do you think we're ready to do it again? Absolutely. Lovely new gifts are lined up. The episodes will be amazing, and wait till everyone hears the bonus content. Yeah, plus they know to go to MaximumFun.org slash newsletter, so they're getting all the news. Oh, like that meetup day is on Thursday, March 21st. Then what's bothering you? Me? Oh, nothing. We're all set for Max Fun Drive to start on Monday, March 18th. I just didn't want you to see this coming. Check. 
what? Hang on. Most of the plants humans eat are technically grass. Most of the asphalt we drive on is almost a liquid. The formula of WD-40 is San Diego's greatest secret. Zippers were invented by a Swedish immigrant love story. On the podcast Secretly Incredibly Fascinating, we explore this type of amazing stuff. Stuff about ordinary topics like cabbage and batteries and socks. Topics you'd never expect to be the title of the podcast. Secretly Incredibly Fascinating. Find us by searching for the word secretly in your podcast app. And at MaximumFun.org. Hey, Adam. What's that, Ben? Did you find yourself a drunk Shimoda? Incredible. Drunk Shimoda. I did find a drunk Shimoda, Ben. My drunk Shimoda is Dr. Julian Bashir, hmm. who, <laughs> who, like is sort of supposed to be instrumental to this mission. Like, oh, Brian's supposed to be the fucking driver. Yeah. Like, he's the Uber driver. Bashir's supposed to be doing all the heavy lifting. It takes five minutes of being on the planet service for Bashir to just basically be quip guy. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, not going to save this old man's life. There's no medicine for me to do out here. I am just going to make fun of Chief O'Brien, a guy who I'm fairly certain hates me. But I'm going to make fun of him anyway. Yeah. Like, how far would he allow things to go for his amusement was a thought that I had while watching this episode. Because, like, O'Brien's in real danger multiple times. Like, he saved he saved him from being stabbed by Petit Seurat. But, like, at, at every other point, he does nothing to disabuse the Bajorans from the idea that he's their new deity. Right. He He really, like... He sort of lays back in the cut and gives Petit Sarah the idea about like the 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 preordained plan for him from the start. Right. But like he's he's watching O'Brien and laughing for thirty five <laughs> minutes of this episode, like laughing at him, not with him. Yeah, yeah. It made me wonder: Is Bashir a sociopath? <laughs> because the whole reason he he like he gives Titsura the idea to save the day, but he only does so when his own life is is in danger. I feel like, and if that wasn't the case, I think he's willing to see this thing through to the end. I feel like if we were watching an episode of like It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia. They would have come up with the idea of faking everybody out so that one of them could look like they saved the day. Right. Like, ahead of time, you know? And then it would have gone bad because Danny DeVito, like, busted in wine drunk and and ruined the whole thing or whatever. But, but yeah, like, the, like, like construction of the story is so... It's so weirdly predictable that, that Bashir, like laying back and just watching it all and cracking wise about it the entire time is a little right. bit suspicious. He's totally the Mac of the show because like he doesn't scream at people. Yeah. He kind of lays back in the cut and is and is very condescending. <laughs> That's Bashir. Yeah. Bashir is the Mac of the show. Yeah. Yeah, I think O'Brien in this metaphor is the Charlie, I guess. <laughs> yeah, I can see that. He's <laughs> just the janitor that uh yeah. always killing rats and taking out garbage. <laughs> uh how about you, Ben? I'm giving it to Petit Sarah. Uh this is another of our famous timestamp Shimodas. 
Uh, if okay. you go to 26 minutes and 26 seconds, uh, this is just after the mayor guy has like, you know, like they're, they're like, well, we got to go. And he's like, no, no, like. O'Brien, you live here now. You're the Sarah. And he's like, well, I don't know anything about being a religious leader. And he's like, well, you just have to tell the story. Like, that's all there is to it. You just tell the story and uh, and it saves the it saves the town every single time. That's how it works. And he's like, that's all there is to it. And he's like, kind of like ultimately satisfied by that. And so the mayor leaves and Petit Sarah is like standing by the door. And as he walks out, he does that thing of like maintaining eye contact all the way <laughs> off the edge of the frame, which is like the most threatening <laughs> shit. <laughs> and and like the only thing that could have made it better if his is if he had gone out, out of frame and then come back in still maintaining eye contact. <laughs> the, no one has ever left a room maintaining eye contact and then not attempted to kill you later. No, yeah, like like that's a thing. That is uh that's like the coughing up blood of I'm gonna kill you later. Right. Oh man, that's a great Shimoda. What do we have coming up on the next episode, Ben? The next episode is season one, episode fourteen Progress. A stubborn old Bajoran farmer forces Kira to take a good look at how much she has changed since her alliance with the Federation. You've changed, man. (laughs) I don't even recognize you anymore. It's a really scintillating topic for an episode. Can't wait. Do you want to find out if we'll be drunk for this one, Adam? I want to be drunk for this one. Feels like a good one to be drunk. Roll them bones, Ben. And we got a one, Adam. I love her! Hell yeah! Drink! It's the antidote! This is actually kind of a problem because we often record two two at a time. <laughs> and that'll be that'll be the first of two. So that could really really pose a problem for us. But uh but that's gonna be a drunk episode. Ben, that's value for the listener. That's what I think. <laughs> two for the price of one. Oh man. Very exciting. Indeed. All right. Well, uh, that'll be next week. In the meantime, why don't you hit us up on social media? There's a great subreddit for Greatest Gen. There's also a Facebook group that's equally great. Uh, they are both kicking ass in the number of active members count, like like uh, two, 3,000 members each. Big, big time fun times over there. And uh, we're also using the hashtag Greatest Gen on Twitter. Where Adam is at Cut for Time and I'm at Benjamin R. A H R. Hey, listen, it's the new year. I'm going to the gym again, like never before. <laughs> I'm getting back into uh, yoga. One of the one of the things that feels good when you go back to the gym is a is a new workout shirt. I gotta tell you, we got some great workout shirts for you at uh, at the at the Max Fun Store. Why don't you head over there and get yourself something fun to work out in? We got a got a drunk Shimoda shirt. Yeah, West Hot American Summer shirt. Get yourself and one of those shirts and then, like Mac, cut the sleeves off of it. Show off them guns. They aren't those scratchy shirts either. Like, they're really, they're soft. They're they're good to do yoga in. They are and, uh, well produced. Send us, uh, send us sweaty workout pics on the Twitter. Share, share those gym pics. <laughs> hashtag, 
Hashtag Jim Shimoda. G-Y-M Shimoda. <laughs> on those picks. Let's, uh, let's, get this, let's get this viewership in shape again. I yeah. think that's a great, that's a great goal. Yeah. Let's do it. Let's be the fittest Star Trek fan community there is. You know? That's what I'm into. Jim Shimoda. I came up with that on the spot, Ben. That was a pretty hot move when you came up with Jim Shimoda. G-Y-M. <laughs> you know what we got to do? Here's the thing. If there's enough interest in this, we're going to make another Jim Shimoda shirt, Ben. A limited exactly, edition tank top. Yeah, exactly the same image as the previous Jim Shimoda shirt, except he's wearing a sweatband. <laughs> sweatband. Sweatband tank top Jim Shimoda. Get it. All right. Uh, let us know using the hashtag Jim Shimoda if you want us to make that shirt. We should thank Dark Materia for our theme music and Adam Ragusea for also our theme music. And with that, Adam. We'll be back at you next time with another great episode of Star Trek Deep Space Nine. And another episode of The Greatest Generation Deep Space Nine that gets a little saucy. MaximumFun.org. Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Listener supported.